0: This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence This podcast is intended for a mature audience Listener Caution is advised A man in his early twenties stood at the side of the road Waving at the passing cars to get attention Eventually, a vehicle with two men inside parked up beside the desperate motorist. The would-be rescuers jumped out of their car and approached the man who stopped them. He opened his mouth to speak, something that he would come to regret. The smell of alcohol from his breath hit their nostrils. They knew he had been drinking and the two police officers were going to do something about it. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 33 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Christmas Day 1997 That was the day the 23-year-old sped away from Stamfordham before hailing passing motorists in Gateshead But what was he trying to get away from? What had he done? Stamfordham is a village set amidst the Northumberland countryside. Agriculture has been a significant part of the village's heritage for centuries due to the fertile land in the area. A vintage postcard from 1904 shows the village full of cattle for a livestock fair. The farming tradition was still alive in the 1990s, just not as prominent. One local who worked in the agricultural industry was farm labourer 23-year-old Stephen Ling. A day before his arrest, it was an opportunity for Ling to go out and celebrate as it was Christmas Eve. With no work the next day, he went drinking in the village. 29-year-old Joanne Tulip was in Stamfordham to see her father on Christmas Eve in 1997. She also took the opportunity to have a few festive drinks at a pub with her friends. Joanne enjoyed socialising, and what better reason to meet up with people than Christmas? It was highly unfortunate that she crossed paths with someone who was her opposite. Burley, loner Steve and Ling. The unlikely pair started a conversation and decided to spend the evening together. According to Ling, they briefly returned to Joanne's father's house and then Ling persuaded Joanne to go to his place. As they journeyed through the sleepy village, the streets were quiet. Christmas lights had still been left on in an occasional property, framing the windows through which a twinkling Christmas tree could be seen in sight. After they arrived at Stephen Ling's home, a pleasant evening ended in tragedy when Ling grew more comfortable in his own surroundings. What happened next could only be pieced together by forensic evidence and an account provided by Stephen Ling. Intoxicated, Ling started to exhibit unsettling behaviour, which quickly turned violent. He took a knife and threatened to hurt himself and end his life. His mood then flipped again before he forced himself on Joanne Tulip, violently raping her and taking her life. A pathologist would later examine Joanne's body, which bore the countless injuries inflicted during the brutal murder. Joanne endured over 60 knife wounds, including defensive injuries to her hands and arms. The damage inflicted on her body consisted of both superficial and deep penetrating stab wounds. Ling then used a duvet or pillow in an attempt to smother her. Not satisfied with what he had done, he attempted to set fire to Joanne's body. He fled the house, hoping to escape the consequences of his actions. Stephen Ling knew it wouldn't be long before he was tracked down. He fled in his new car and planned to get as far away from the scene as possible. Frustratingly for Ling, the new vehicle wasn't the getaway car he hoped for, and his plan was self-sabotage by the amount of alcohol he had consumed. Around 16 miles southeast in Gateshead, officers on patrol saw Ling unsteady on his feet, waving down passing traffic after an accident. Stephen Ling blurted out what he had done to the shocked officers. A confession to rape and murder followed what was thought to be a routine stop. Bing claimed he wanted to slit his wrists but decided against it. He told them, ''Just take me straight to the police station. I want to tell you I have just killed a girl. I stabbed her while having sex. I'm going to jail for 25 years.'' According to Ling, his biggest fear was his parents finding out what he had done. Stephen Ling was taken to the station, where he made a full confession. We went upstairs and talked for a bit, he said. I just stabbed her. I don't know why I did it. In his statement, Ling alleged that while at his home, Joanne rebuffed his attempt to kiss her, and in response he struck her. Ling attested that he then left Joanne in his bedroom while he went downstairs to make coffee. He picked up two knives before he went back upstairs. Ling claimed he was going to have sex with Joanne, but couldn't explain why he took the weapons with him. It also seemed unlikely he was referring to a consensual act as Joanne had pushed him away earlier and he had hit her. As Ling continued with the statement, he initially maintained that when he got to the room he had a conversation with Joanne. However, he would go on to admit that he raped her, and it was for this reason that he wanted to kill himself. A post-mortem examination established that Joanne Tulip died, not because she was smothered, but due to the stab wounds inflicted by Stephen Ling. Her body had been mutilated, two knives had been used, one so furiously it broke. Symbols like swastikas or crosses had been carved into the skin around her collar and a cigarette was also found pushed inside her body. A forensic scientist in the National Crime Faculty Unit, an expert in profiling criminals who commit this type of crime, was brought in to assess the evidence. As a result, Stephen Ling was classified as a picarist, a person who derives sexual pleasure from piercing someone's skin. Methods can include bite, slicing or stabbing. Picarism sometimes results in serious injury but less commonly murder. Stephen Ling wasn't the only killer to be diagnosed. Well-known examples of criminal picarists are Albert Fish and Jack the Ripper. The practicalities and legal process were put into motion after Joanne Tulip was found murdered in Stephen Ling's home. The human aspect also had to be dealt with. Joanne's mother Doreen Soulsby was spending Christmas Day with her three grandchildren and her son Michael. She had been enjoying the morning at Michael's home in Newburn. The happiness of watching the children unwrap their presents was interrupted by the telephone ringing around 11am. One of the children was quickest to lift the receiver. They said Grandad Tulip was on the line. Their father Michael took the phone. Michael held it close to his ear and within seconds the happy atmosphere was sucked out of the room. It was apparent to Doreen something was wrong. It wasn't a friendly call to wish the family a happy Christmas. Michael stared at the ceiling while listening to his father on the other end of the line. Doreen wondered what was being said before Joanne's family came to learn of the terrible truth that she had been murdered. The adult's visceral reaction told the children something was wrong, and they in turn got upset. Christmas Day, and more importantly, the lives of everyone in that room would never be the same again. Michael and Doreen were required to identify Joanne Tulip's body. They drove to Hexham to do so. Twelve years later, Doreen recounted the events to a reporter for the Newcastle Journal. As other people were having their Christmas dinner, we were confirming that the dead woman was Joanne. The doctors wouldn't let me see her body, just her face, presumably because her wounds were so terrible. I couldn't have taken it. Joanne looked angry, and she had blood coming from her mouth. The image of her I carry with me is of her in the mortuary. I will never get it out of my head. In the beginning I would imagine what her body looked like under the sheet. Joanne Tulip was one of two children. She was very close to her mother. She had trained to be a hairdresser, and was skilled at her job. Naturally, she changed her hairstyle often. Joanne took a position away from home in Hexham and even travelled to Bahrain in the Middle East. Eventually, she returned to her northeast roots, securing employment in Wylam. Unfortunately, her career plans were put on hold when her health stalled. She was diagnosed with ME. Chronic fatigue made it difficult for Joanne to continue with a nine-to-five job. She had to learn to manage her condition. By the time she went out on Christmas Eve in 1997, she was planning on returning to work. She didn't have much money that year after living on benefits while trying to recuperate, but Joanne was determined to buy gifts for family and friends. Even if that meant she got into debt. Thinking of people she cared about wasn't out of the ordinary for Joanne. Just before the widespread use of email and mobile phones, she kept in touch by sending notes to ex colleagues and friends. Her mother Doreen later said that Joanne was a happy girl and so friendly, smiling and laughing throughout her life from being a toddler. Her bubbly laughter, caring and thoughtfulness for others brought so much joy to me and those whose lives she touched. While Stephen Ling admitted murdering Joanne Tulip, it was decided the rape charge would lie on file. Ling's counsel claimed that allowing the prosecution to pursue the charge would be an abuse of the court process and the judge agreed. The repercussions of this decision would be seen if a prisoner in this position were released. Records would show a conviction for murder, not rape and murder. Therefore, the offender would not be added to the sex offender's register and they would not be monitored in the same way. Towards the end of 1998, Stephen Ling was sentenced. Three psychiatrists would testify at Newcastle Crown Court that Stephen Ling was not suffering from a specific disorder that affected his culpability. Mr Justice Potts presided over the sentencing on December 2nd. He had been a High Court judge since 1986 and was later known as Sir Humphrey Potts after receiving a knighthood. He was well known for his strict demeanour. The judge peered through his large frame glasses and addressed Stephen Ling in a firm voice. You inflicted appalling injuries on her while you were having sexual relations with her. You will never be released so long as it is thought you constitute a danger to women. Ling was told that the minimum period he would have to spend behind bars before he could be considered for parole would be 17 years and 24 days. This accounted for the time he had spent on remand, deducted from a total sentence of 18 years. Ling's tariff expiration date was set to be December 26, 2015. Due to the severity and sadistic nature of what Ling had done to Joanne, Mr Justice Potts said the case should be brought to the attention of the Home Secretary should Ling ever apply to be released. After sentencing Superintendent David Hepworth, who led the investigation, commented to the press, Ling inflicted many more injuries on Joanne than were necessary to cause her death. His attack was sadistic and without provocation. Less than a year later, in October 1999, the then Home Secretary Jack Straw increased Ling's prison sentence to at least 20 years. From the start, Doreen Soulsby felt heartbreak and agitation at the lack of communication. She felt there was no transparency in the justice system, and the families of victims weren't provided with any information about the person responsible for ending the life of their loved one. In remarks widely reported, she said, ''There's a brick wall that goes up after they go to prison.'' and you don't even know what prison they're in. Stephen Ling appealed the decision to extend the time he was to serve behind bars, and his legal counsel was successful. Ling's increased sentence was reduced. Mr Justice Owen, who overturned the Home Secretary's decision, ruled... I have come to the conclusion that the tariff period fixed by the Secretary of State did not make sufficient allowance for the plea of guilty in the light of the current guidelines. In my judgment and taking full account of the aggravating and mitigating factors, the minimum term should be fixed at 18 years, lest the period of 11 months and 5 days served in custody on remand. Joanne's mother, Doreen, expressed her frustration and concern at the decision to overturn the length of Ling's sentence, when she highlighted that three psychiatrists had examined Ling and he was not deemed insane. She stated, "Stephen Ling is a very dangerous man and should never be released.'' he could be socialising with women in society and would be a huge risk of re-offending with rape and masochistic, sadistic murder as he did to Joanne. Despite being busy running her own business, Doreen actively sought legal reform. She dedicated a considerable amount of her time so families that suffered similar losses through murder would not have to go through the same experience. Fourteen years later, in 2011, progress was made in implementing laws and procedures that better considered victims and their families. Keir Starmer, Director of Public Prosecutions at the time, agreed to change Crown Prosecution Service policy. He held a meeting to discuss the matter with Doring and other families pushing for change. Instead of just informing the families and loved ones of murder victims that a decision had been made to leave a rape charge on file, they would be consulted first. Another significant change was the decision to allow rape charges to lie on file. Starmer said it would be the exception, not the rule. The victory came too late for the families who attended the meeting, but it was a positive change for future cases. Doreen told the journal. Until now, the CPS has looked at linked murder and rape cases purely from a sentencing point of view. In my case, we have a person who has committed the most horrendous sexual offence as well as murder. It is not a convicted sex offender, which is ridiculous. These people should be labelled with that stigma and should have to carry it when they are released from prison. Doreen Soulsby had long settled in Wall near Hexham. In 2013, it was brought to her attention that her daughter's murderer had made an application to move to an open prison. The move is considered essential for most inmates who have served long periods behind bars. It is said fewer restrictions allow them to prepare and be observed before being considered for release. For years, Doreen fought for the rights of victims and their families and argued the laws surrounding the release of dangerous prisoners. The fact that Stephen Ling and many other convicted killers were never charged with rape, instead having it lie on file, was a bitter pill that Doreen refused to swallow. She had helped implement change, although the thought of Ling being released without the conviction of rape on his record was far too much to bear. Welcome news for Doreen came in March. Despite the parole board's decision that Ling should be moved to an open prison, the government blocked the application. A local MP, Hexham's Guy Opperman, a former barrister of 15 years, had praised Doreen's determination to a reporter for The Chronicle Live, saying that she was "...one of the bravest and most resilient of my many amazing constituents." Doreen Soulsby has been through so much, and she will be relieved by the Secretary of State's intervention. After years of unwavering persistence and support from local MPs, Doreen and other people in her position made progress in closing loopholes in the law. February 2018 brought fresh fears for Doreen Soulsby as she learned that Stephen Ling was up for parole. She said, He has committed the worst sex offence with Joanne, and if he gets out and is not a convicted sex offender, nobody will know what he has done. Her concerns were elevated after serial rapist John Warboys changed his name to John Radford and was granted parole months earlier. There was an outcry at the decision. More boys had drugged women in his taxi, and it was believed the number of sex attacks had reached triple digits. The decision to release him was subsequently overturned that same year. The concern over Warboy's release was another high-profile case that brought the contrasting viewpoints of the Parole Board and the public into focus. Many victims of crime and their families called for more transparency. The Parole Board released a statement in which Chief Executive Martin Jones said, Parole board members make incredibly difficult and complex decisions every day that can have a devastating impact on victims, and the case of John Warboys is no different. The courts have decided we must go back and look at this case again in light of additional information that wasn't before the original panel, and we will do just that. A decision on Stephen Ling's parole was due to come through at the end of March 2018. Since Doreen had voiced her apprehensions regarding the potential release of her daughter's killer, a statement was issued by the parole board a month before the decision was announced. We will only make a recommendation for open conditions if a parole board panel is satisfied that the risk to the public has reduced significantly to be manageable in an open prison. Explaining her stance to the Daily Telegraph, Doreen voiced her frustration that Stephen Ling admitted rape but would not be treated as a sex offender. It's incredibly upsetting, I feel I need to make everyone know who he is for what he did to Joanne. If he is released, it will be such an injustice. He deserves to be in prison for much longer. He's a dangerous man. I'm worried for other women. He should be on that register. We had all the evidence. He committed the rape. He admitted it. But just because it wasn't legally convicted, he'll get off. Nearing Christmas that year, over two decades after Joanne Tulip was murdered, a local paper published a feature in the In Memoriam section about Joanne from her mother. It read, Died Christmas Day 1997. The innocent victim of a needless and evil act of violence. Remembered as always, with much love, my daughter Joanne brutally murdered 21 years ago. Always in my thoughts and miss so very much. You brought such joy to me, Choan, and those whose lives you touched. At the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Stephen Ling felt he was ready for life on the outside. He again applied to move to an open prison. The Justice Secretary at the time, Robert Buckland, denied the request, saying that Ling had to work on managing his emotions. Doreen kept the public updated on Ling's release status. She said, "'At some point offenders can be granted day release on temporary licence and after a while overnight.' However, usually as this is normally a rubber-stamping exercise, the Secretary of State rejected the parole board decision and Ling remains in closed prison. In early 2021, new rules regarding public parole were announced. The Parole Board of England and Wales was established in the late 1960s, and for over five decades all parole hearings were kept private. However, this decision was reconsidered, and on February 21st it was announced that there would now be some exceptions to the rule. Some of the reasoning behind the new stance was listed, as the government decided that the blanket ban on public hearings was unnecessary, and quote, Inappropriate circumstances would improve transparency and could help build confidence in the parole system. Under the new rule, it is for the chair of the parole board to decide whether to hold a hearing in public or not, applying an interests of justice test. The reforms would mean a lot of additional processing, as 900 murderers and 900 rapists applied every year. A new rule was also implemented to take effect on July 22nd, allowing anyone to apply for a public hearing. The chair of the Parole Board made the final decision, and legal parameters were in place to consider whether or not to hold a public hearing. The Interests of Justice test detailed what criteria needed to be met. By 2022, Stephen Ling had made four unsuccessful applications for parole. Although his application to be released had been refused, the parole board supported a suggestion that Ling be moved to an open prison, saying they took account of Mr. Ling's consistent good behaviour in prison over many years and his good working relationships with professional staff. The then-Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab disagreed with the Parole Board's recommendations and 47-year-old Stephen Ling remained in a high-security prison. A spokesperson for the Justice Secretary said Raab had acted in the interests of public protection. Prior to this announcement... Doreen Soulsby had appealed to the Justice Secretary via letter expressing her concerns regarding her daughter's killer being given more freedom to mingle with the public, especially in the company of females. Doreen believed he could attack someone else and his history of being a sadistic picaris needed to be taken into account. Doreen knew this wasn't the end of the matter, Still, in the meantime, she was happy with the victory. It will come up before the parole board again, I am sure, and I will have to face that when it happens. For the time being, though, I am relieved and delighted. A correspondent for the Telegraph newspaper was said to have viewed the parole board's report, which noted an alleged shift in Stephen Ling's outlook. Referring to the murder as the index offence, it read he had developed insight into the triggers and motivations for the index offence as well as a greater ability to manage and cope with his problems. Parole papers also provided insight into Stephen Ling and his circumstances at the time of Joanne's murder. It listed he was living in a village and was thought to be socially isolated using alcohol as a coping mechanism. Ling, who was then in his early 20s, had an obsession with what was referred to as unhealthy types of sex and sexual violence. What's more, the parole paper suggested that Ling felt entitled to sex. Around this time, a new sense of vigilance was ignited as serial sex offender Paul Robson had abused his right to move to an open prison before absconding in February of that year. Detective Chief Superintendent Andy Cox informed the public, Robson is a dangerous sex offender, and while he presents a particular danger to women and young children, I believe he can cause real harm to anyone he comes across. Robson had left HMP North Sea Camp in Boston, Lincolnshire and wasn't arrested until four days later in Skegness. Without monitoring, it was impossible to know what he was doing, where he was or who he was with during those 96 hours. By mid-2022, There was more news about changes to how serious offenders would be processed before their release. A page appeared on the gov.uk website with the header Offenders to face toughest test yet for open prison moves. The article published during the first week of June outlined a stricter structure for allowing serious offenders to move to open prisons. It named a handful of high-profile prisoners, including Stephen Ling, whose latest request to move to an open prison had been refused by Dominic Raab eight weeks earlier. The article read in part, From tomorrow, all indeterminate sentence offenders, those who have committed the most serious crimes including murder and rape, will face much stricter criteria to move from closed to open prisons. The stringent new rules will mean the Deputy Prime Minister can block any such prisoner moving to an open prison unless they can demonstrably pass a tough three-step test, including proving that they are highly unlikely to abscond, that the move is essential for them to work towards future release, and the move would not undermine public confidence in the broader criminal justice system. In late 2022, Doreen Soulsby campaigned on behalf of the organisation Killed Women. Eleven families of women killed by men came together to try and instigate change and reform the law. Some of the families' requests included more education about domestic violence, including non-physical forms of abuse such as coercive control. The rules around sentencing were an issue they believed needed to be looked at closely by the government. A serious concern was raised by Julie Devi, whose 24 year old daughter, Poppy Devi Waterhouse, was brutally murdered in her own home in 2018. Poppy's ex boyfriend had used a knife that was already inside the property. As such, the perpetrator had a lesser sentence as dictated by law. Julie Devi explained to a correspondent for The Guardian, When you tell people there is this ten-year disparity in sentencing, everybody is shocked. So let's see the change. Let's see those perpetrators properly monitored. Let's stop releasing dangerous perpetrators back into society. Let's stop allowing them to change their names and let's recognise domestic violence and domestic homicide is serious, and it should never be treated as a lesser crime to anything else. Fully aware they couldn't change the sentences of the criminals that had killed their loved ones, the people behind the Killed Women campaign wanted to make sure that in future similar cases could be dealt with using fair punishment they felt fit the crimes. Furthermore, as part of their fundraising efforts, members of the organisation set up a GoFundMe page to support their cause. A link to the fundraiser is included in the show notes. Part of the GoFundMe page reads, Every three days a woman is killed by a man, and all we get are warm words from politicians about their sadness at our losses. That's why we are setting up a new campaigning organisation and network called Killed Women to raise awareness, demand action and hold government to account. We know the public cares about this, but without consistent campaigning to demand change, government, decision makers and all those in power can get away with empty words. The need for raising funds was also explained. Your donation will help families elevate their voice and build this organisation to create a legacy of change that ensures justice and protection for women in the future. At the end of January 2023, another referral for Stephen Ling to be moved to an open prison was submitted to the parole board. An oral hearing was initially delayed before it was announced the proceedings would go ahead on November 14th and 15th, 2023 at the Royal Courts of Justice in London. An application for the hearing to be made public was put forward for the following reasons. Stephen Lyn committed a brutal attack. There was a public outcry following previous parole board recommendations that Stephen Ling be moved to open conditions. Given current campaigns to protect women and girls, it is in the public interest for the parole process to be transparent, and victims and the public need to understand the parole process to restore confidence in the justice system. Although Ling wanted the hearing to be private... He was assured that some details would be confidential. A representative of Ling's put forward a statement that a public hearing might trigger negative thoughts for their client and it is difficult to see how if the case is heard in public it can be fair to Mr Ling. The parole board made assurances they would safeguard the most sensitive evidence during the process. Details like personal information, including addresses, would not be included for safety reasons, and statements would be taken from witnesses in a private setting. Despite Stephen Ling's reluctance to proceed publicly, no evidence was submitted to suggest he could not attend. Understandably, Joanne Tulip's mother was grappling with the idea of her daughter's murderer having more freedom. The parole board had approved Stephen Ling's move to an open prison before, but it was the Justice Secretary who could stop the application from moving forward. Doreen said, Ling is now 48 years of age, still a comparatively young man who spent his young years in closed prison and has missed socialising with women. I am terrified that he should be released again, even into open prison. The first thing on his mind will be his sexual appetite to socialise with women again, and I fear some poor woman will be the subject of a horrendous sexual attack just as he did with Joanne. Doreen referred to Stephen Ling's reluctance to make the hearing public despite the safety and privacy measures put in place. He needs to face up to what he did to Joanne in public and to the media. He committed a brutal attack, and given the current campaigns and government pledge to protect women and girls, it is in the public interest for the parole process to be transparent. So where are we now? December is always difficult for people who love Joanne Tulip. In December 2020, her mother, Doreen Soulsby had retired from her garden tours company. Now a great-grandmother living with Wayne, her husband of almost three decades, Doreen expressed how jarring the Christmas period still was. She poignantly said, I can't stand the hype. This year Christmas started earlier. It brings it all back, but it's important that we keep Joanne's memory alive. Highlighting her commitment, Doreen told a reporter for The Chronicle Live in 2022, I have been fighting for justice since the day Joanne died, and I will continue to do so as I don't think this monster should ever be released from prison. The King's speech was televised in early November 2023. It was Charles' first as a monarch. The tradition was part of the state opening of the parliamentary year and lists the government's proposed policies. The government is not required to introduce all of the legislation included in the address, written by the government but delivered by the King, and other bills and subjects may also be introduced. As part of the announcement, the Victims and Prisoners Bill was on the agenda. Doreen Soulsby and others like her had been desperately fighting to pass a bill like this for years. It includes reform to parole rules, marriage and civil partnerships for certain prisoners, and minimum levels of service for victims of crime. Stephen Ling's public parole hearing was scheduled for November 14th and 15th of this year. At the time of recording this podcast, information about the outcome has yet to be released. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.